This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Okay, we've probably talked about this before. If you notice, we have a variety of guests from any number of world faith traditions. We probably don't have, actually, we certainly don't have many evangelical Christians as guests on our show. Now, there's a reason for that. When we started Common Threads, we wanted to be an alternative to what is normally considered religion on the radio. And the many authors and clerics have plenty of media from which to speak all along the radio dial. As a matter of fact, if you turn your uh, radio tuner both figuratively and literally just a little bit to the right from where you are right now, you can catch Focus on the Family. You can catch Moody Bible Institute. There's just any number of outlets for conservative evangelical Christian thought. Now, we have had people from the evangelical movement on our program before, but as I say, it's few and far between because more likely than not, you're, you're not going to be able to hear a Buddhist monk or a Hindu priest or a Baha'i assembly member uh, on many other radio stations. So when a woman from a PR firm contacted me recently about a book called A Baptist Among the Jews, she said, would you like to have the author on your show? Ooh, A Baptist Among the Jews. Something about that title just didn't sit right, and I assumed it was an evangelical Christian who spent some time within a Jewish community attempting to convert and then wrote a book about the superiority of Christianity over Judaism and what they're all missing. So I politely declined giving this uh, woman in the PR firm uh, essentially the same reasoning I'm giving you right now. Well, she responded in an email saying, Fred, I don't think you understand what this book is about. Let me send it to you, and then you can make your own, your own judgment. Well, she did, and I made my own judgment, and I'm very, very happy to be able to talk about this book, A Baptist Among the Jews, with our guest today, Mary Bly Howe. Mary, welcome to Common Threads. Thank you so much. So this, uh, obviously, this title, uh, it's loaded, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> And I can only assume that uh, you did you you titled this book in this manner for a reason. Um, the average person, and I guess I'm I'm pretty average. That's what everybody tells me. In in many areas of life, uh, I see this book, and I assumed that you were writing in one direction. You were writing in a completely different other. Did you assume that people would take that just by looking at the book? Um, I assumed that it would be a catchy title, but I had hoped that people would read 
even the back cover or something um, about my journey on the inside flap and find out that it wasn't about a Baptist that was out to proselytize or even evangelize Jews, that it was about a, a Baptist who had expanded her spiritual journey and her own faith by becoming involved in Judaism while remaining a Christian. I, I will say this, if you take a look under the title and under uh, the uh, the name of the author, it says afterward by Rabbi Lawrence Kushner. Yes. One could probably assume that <laughs> if this was a hellfire and brimstone kind of book, that it wouldn't have an afterward by uh, Rabbi Lawrence Kushner. You're absolutely right. And any, any Jewish person is going to recognize his name. He's very prominent in a Jewish community and a best-selling author. And any Christian is going to know that any rabbi that wrote a, an afterword for my book is not going to do that if I was out to convert Jews. Right. Tell us uh, then a, a little bit of the history of how you ended up writing this book. Okay. I had left a, an extremely conservative, fundamentalist uh, Christian, uh, a number of Christian churches. I had been in Baptist churches since I was two weeks old, but I had actually grown more conservative as I got older. And I even attended a Baptist church that thought Southern Baptists were liberal, which is um, to, to tell you just exactly how conservative I was. And. Um, over the years, though, as, as I approached my mid-30s, I was in a church that um, took the Bible in such a literal manner. Uh, we spent at least three sessions a week, and sometimes four or five, just picking the Bible apart. And I started to see the inconsistencies in the way that they approached the Bible. And when I uh, questioned anything that they did, I got a uh, very hostile reaction. And it took me a number of years to finally make the break, but I did, and I went to, I started attending a more moderately aligned Baptist church. And right after I did this, we were invited to participate in an interfaith service at a um, uh, Reformed temple at a synagogue. And I absolutely fell in love with Judaism. I thought um, I, I had known so little about the faith, and I had no Jewish friends, um, and yet I had formed some uh, very errant views about Judaism. And as I, uh, as I attended this interfaith service, when they took the Torah scroll out, I, I thought that was just one of the most beautiful rituals. They carry it down the aisle, and the Jews kiss the Torah, and the Hebrew prayers were beautiful, and so um, I just wanted more. And I started attending every imaginable kind of synagogue from there are three uh, very liberal sects of Judaism, and I became very involved in those, I uh, went to Orthodox synagogues, I went to traditional and conservative, I studied with a Hasidic rabbi every week for several years, and the more I learned and the more I was with them, uh, the more I loved about them. So that was pretty much the beginning of my journey. You say that uh, evangelicals have lost touch with their Jewish roots and, and 
Here's a quote. Even the Old Testament is increasingly alien territory in many evangelical churches today. I had no idea that that was the case. Why do you suppose that is? I I mean, uh, according to an evangelical, uh, the the book of Deuteronomy is uh, just as inspired, uh, just as inerrant uh, from the mouth of God, the same thing as uh, Timothy. Correct? Well, personally, I think that uh, that's what they say, but that's not um, how they actually deep down believe. Because if you if you pick out certain scriptures in the Hebrew Testament, um, most Christians, you know, there are some verses that they will say, oh yes, that's still binding, and uh, a good example might be tithing. And, um, and then they might pick out other scriptures um, you know, as far as what foods to eat, and they will say, uh, no, the, the, quote, New Testament has superseded that. So they're very selective in what they think, uh, as far as in the Hebrew scriptures, they're very selective in what they think would be uh, still valid for us as binding. But I think that the reason that a lot of Christians actually shy away from the Hebrew Testament is because the God that is presented there is sometimes presented as an angry, vindictive God, and um, and Christians don't know how to deal with that. Um, they they um, y- you know they may see this very loving, passionate God through some of the prophets, but in other parts of the Hebrew Testament, uh, the depiction of God there terrifies Christians, and so they're drawn more towards uh, the gentle meek expression of Jesus in uh, the New Testament. And how do the Jews handle this so-called vindictive and angry God? How do they handle it any better than the Christians? The Jews that I know don't try to analyze God in the same way that Christians do. Uh, Christians want to... uh, It's a Greek way of thinking, which which we've inherited, And we want to get this black-and-white depiction of God. We're very uncomfortable with apparent contradictions or paradox. Um, We fear questions, or we, um, if if we don't fear questions, then we want to make sure that those questions have answers and that they have black-and-white answers. We're very uncomfortable with gray areas and with questions that are unending and that raise more questions. The Jewish way of thinking is to just simply stand in awe at something that is an apparent paradox or contradiction. And they, um, they, they have this God of great passion. They don't see God as willfully doing something uh, bad to somebody else. Rather, they see God as a being of such fire and such holiness that when somebody comes in contact with that kind of power and holiness, uh, you have to be careful. You know, you don't you don't walk through fire carelessly, and um, and they just stand in awe of of a being that is so holy and so powerful and so great, and yet they um, they certainly still see God as a being of great love. And they also see God as a being of great mystery. So this is a this is a, a being that we just can't comprehend with our intellect, and we can't paint this 
black and white picture of this being. So that's how I see the difference in approach. There are a number of people that uh, are woven throughout the entire book, people who are on your journey with you, so to speak. One of them is Rabbi G. He seems to be a fascinating gentleman. I'm just curious, uh, why just the last initial? Well, I had written a couple of articles about Judaism and talked to him uh, about using his name, and he was very uncomfortable with that. And I think that uh, it's difficult to explain to people who are outside of the Hasidic sect of Judaism but while I love the Hasidim, and they are the mystical branch of Judaism in that they, they fully live mysticism. Mysticism is a part of every aspect of their lives. But they are also the most orthodox branch of Judaism. And many Hasidim, are, uh, they live in seclusion. They uh, don't affiliate with the rest of the world um, and a lot of times they don't even affiliate with other Jews. Uh, the Lubavitcher, which is who the sect that Rabbi G belongs to, they're more outgoing. Uh, they take it as their mission to uh, help Jews to become more observant. So they're very, uh, they live everywhere and they're very involved uh, in the community. And yet they, they do remain uh, very orthodox. Rabbi G was just uncomfortable with kind of being mixed in with um, the community and with the rest of uh, the Jewish community in my book. I, I guess it represented um, the way that they feel about life. Sure, I understand. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella, and we're speaking with Mary Bly Howe and her book, a Baptist Among the Jews. So your background is in philosophy and anthropology? Yes. How did, were you able to mix philosophy, anthropology, and conservative evangelical Christianity? <laughs> well, I had switched churches uh, by that time. I had returned to school in my mid-30s, and... Um, I really just wanted a couple of areas of study that would um, expand my thinking and my knowledge. I was already, I had been a professional writer for 10 years by that time, and so I didn't want to go and get a degree in writing uh, or in English. And um, so I just, I had taken a couple of classes earlier, and I was very fascinated by philosophy and anthropology, and that probably helped pull me further out of a uh, really conservative mindset, actually. By the way, I wanted to mention something. Throughout the book, you gingerly and very adeptly are able to refer to the, to the Bible in the most appropriate manner possible. That is to say, you, you often refer to uh, the, what, what Christians call the Old Testament as the Tanakh, or you refer to what uh, they often call the New Testament as the Greek Testament. You're very fluid in your use, and and uh, oftentimes that frustrates me. I'm not Jewish, but I like to see I like to see appropriate names of, of scripture. And now, when a, 
if a Christian, say I'm reading the newspaper, and a Christian is quoted uh, of saying, well, I read the Old Testament every day, that's fine. But when a reporter talks about the so-called Old Testament, that's a little bit frustrating, and authors as well. And, and you, you move when you... When you say the word Old Testament, it's appropriate. When you say the word Tanakh or New Testament or Greek Testament, whatever you're saying, or just the Bible, it works very, very well. Thank you. Um, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really bother me the the terminology. Um, Christians are used to the Old and New Testament, and I don't think they really mean anything derogatory by that. But um, to a Jew, that is. That does sound derogatory, and so I just really don't think of the Testaments much as the old and new any longer, um, and I, I just decided to refer to them by the language in which they're written. Christians have uh, have confronted me a couple of times about using um, the Hebrew Testament as opposed to the Christian Testament, which is the way Jews often refer to the two Testaments. Um, and they have a valid point because uh, the the quote Old Testament is also the Christian Testament. So I don't think that's really a good distinction. But I do think just referring to the two testaments according to the language that they're written in um, allows a Christian to um, feel that both testaments still belong to them, also while not sounding derogatory to a Jew. Yeah, I think that is uh, very appropriate. You mentioned in your book that uh, you had a little bit of a wild time coming out of your teens, so you weren't a part of a church back then. I was. I um, uh, I grew up in a church, and I loved it. As a child, we did all the typical Southern Baptist things, and if there are any Baptists listening, they'll remember sword drills that we did in training union on Sunday night, and uh, walking the aisle when you're eight or nine years old to, quote, be saved and to get baptized. And, um, I, you know, I sang in the junior choir and went to the Baptist camps, and uh, I, I loved church growing up. But when I turned into a teenager, I didn't love church so much, and, yes, I, I did become quite a wild teenager. And um, But my parents still made me attend church, so I, that's why I continued through my teen years. And then I came back after um, my husband, I met my husband in college, and when we got married, we realized that uh, our heavy involvement in drugs and uh, drinking and um, all the wild things that some teenagers go through and, and definitely went through in the 70s, um, that that was just not going to be conducive to a marriage. And so that's why we uh, we gave everything up and... Uh, started attending a uh, a very conservative Baptist church. I see. Uh, speaking of wild times, you you write extensively, actually, on the various uh, high holy days and and maybe even the low holy days, but uh, where uh, it, it's just remarkably festive in the Jewish community, particularly in the Hasidic community. Yes. And you write about the. Um, the two times during a year where not only is it uh, uh, appropriate to actually get drunk, but it is mandatory. I believe that's the word you use. You, you 
have to get drunk, is that correct? Yes. <laughs> Tell uh, us about that. Okay. There's a little debate on, um, it's technically only a mitzvah or a commandment. Uh, some people think mitzvah means good deed and it actually means command. Um, there, there's actually only one time that it is a mitzvah for a Jew to get drunk, but many of the Hasidim and um, definitely the Lubavitcher sect of Hasidim, uh, they consider it a mitzvah or at least a, um, an obligation to get drunk twice a year. And yes, I did attend the holidays. And um, many of the Jews, I, I almost did not put this in my book because uh, so many of my Jewish friends that are not Hasidic uh, feared that people would get the wrong impression and that the majority of Jews get drunk on uh, these particular holidays, which are uh, Simhat Torah and Purim, are the two holidays that the Hasidim get drunk on. And but uh, you know it's a it's a fact that they do it. And so because I was quite involved with the Hasidim, I decided to go ahead and put that in my book. And it has received some misunderstanding. I've had Christians that have read it and have just said, well, I don't agree with the Jews that they do this. And so I really want to emphasize that the vast, vast majority of Jews do not get drunk on these holidays. They have uh, reinterpreted um, these mitzvahs in, in other ways, or they've just felt that it's just not socially responsible to do this. But because the Hasidim are Orthodox, they do definitely take these, uh, these passages in Talmud literally, and um, uh, one of the uh, holidays that I attended was actually at Rabbi G's home, and it was during a Purim celebration, and um, it, it was just a great deal of fun, and yet it was so infused with spirituality, and I really don't know, you know, I, I can't justify this, and uh, and, and I don't even want to make excuses uh, for, you know, for getting drunk. But that is for them a, a, a sacred commandment, and they have a, a huge celebration with food and dancing and drinking, and um, and it may go on all night long. I I didn't stay around all night, I, but I did stay till about midnight. And yes, it. And they also do this in their synagogues on holidays. So, okay, okay, yeah, it's just obviously interesting to the untrained eye. Yes. Uh, you mentioned that Wednesdays you'd go to uh, your uh, your uh, Torah study, then you would go to your Bible study uh, at your church. Yes. Um, well, kind of the other way around. I I did go to um, Wednesday night Bible study at my church. And um, then I would leave from there. It would be about a 45-minute drive to Rabbi G's, and we would study for about two hours. Um, and I studied with mostly uh, Orthodox and Hasidic men. Uh, there Occasionally there was a, a woman that came, uh, very occasionally, and then later uh, another woman came kind of regularly. But uh, for at least the first couple of years, I was usually the only woman there. Right. And definitely the only Christian and probably the only Baptist that uh, that they had ever even talked to. Well, my question is, 
So you were doing Bible study from a Christian standpoint and Bible study from a Jewish standpoint uh, simultaneously. Did you infuse your Christian Bible study with Jewish thought at all? When when uh, somebody brought up a passage in Jeremiah, were you able to say, well, it, you know, yeah, that's what we say, but just so you know, here's a Jewish take on this. Did that ever happen? Um, I certainly, obviously, my my thinking about the Bible changed very much when I began studying Judaism, but um, I never tried to take the Hebrew scriptures. In fact, I, uh, you know, before I would take these prophecies and always apply them to Christianity, and I actually stopped doing that. Uh, I acknowledged that we are two separate religions and that we view the Bible differently. We view God differently in some ways. Um, our approach to life is often different different uh, from one another. And so I actually uh, kind of took the opposite approach from what you're saying, and um, I decided to uh, enrich my own personal views of God that had been so narrow and, um, well, they, I mean, they had just been so narrow, and I allowed Judaism to just expand my thinking. So I really don't try, actually don't try to, to mix the two religions. I, I believe that uh, there are definite differences, and I respect those differences, and I, um, but I don't think that one is better than the other. I think they're just different. Sure. Throughout the book, one uh, sees that you are extremely entranced and taken with ritual. And I was wondering that what if way back when, uh, when, you, when you started going to a synagogue for study, uh, or perhaps even back to that interfaith service, what if you had attended either a very conservative uh, uh, Catholic church, one that, one that uh, does the Latin Mass and all the, the old ritual, or perhaps an Eastern Orthodox church? Do you think that you might have taken a similar journey? Um, I can answer that question pretty easily. I actually, after I... Uh, joined this new church, or maybe a few years before, I had begun opening my mind a little bit, and um, I I did go to a couple of Catholic services, and a couple of times I was on vacation by myself, just having a personal retreat, and I would stop by a Catholic church or a Catholic cathedral, and there would be people in there praying and lighting candles, and I had never done that, so. I just went forward with them and lit candles and knelt and prayed, and I felt a little uncomfortable and a little embarrassed because I had never done anything like that and wasn't even sure about the significance or the meaning behind the ritual. You didn't, you didn't make a wish and blow them out, did you? <laughs> no. Good. <laughs> no. Um, I, I kind of looked at other people out of the corner of my eye to make sure that I wasn't doing anything stupid. And, um, and I did go to a Greek Orthodox service. And I, because I've never had any kind of ritual in my own denomination, 
um, that very much intrigued me, and I was very drawn to that. Um, and I, I have since done, you know, things with other religions and other people that um, that is very ritualistic. But there's something about Judaism that just really, really attracted me. Um, and, you know, it's something that you can't explain intellectually. Sure. You, you, um, you're just, it's like the way you're drawn to people. Um, you're going to be drawn to some people more than you are to other people. And I was just extremely attracted to Judaism. Mary, I'm going to have to stop you right now because, believe it or not, we are all out of time, but I'm going to ask you to join us again next week, and we'll continue this conversation. Mary Bly Howe is our guest in the book, A Baptist Among the Jews. My name is Fred Stella. Please join us for more of this conversation next week here on Common Threads on WGVU Radio. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, president of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week we began a conversation with Mary Bly Howe. Mary is a cradle Southern Baptist who has found a warm and welcoming second home among several Jewish congregations in the Dallas, Texas area. She's published over a hundred articles in more than 60 diverse periodicals, including The Entrepreneur, The Dallas Morning News, and The Chicago Tribune. We spoke about the book that she recently had published entitled A Baptist Among the Jews. It's a wonderful spiritual journey. Mary continues to be a Christian, and when she entered the world of Judaism, she did not go with any agenda, which makes her a perfect candidate for an interfaith dialogue. Mary, welcome again to Common Threads. Thank you so much. Last week, um, I... In my introduction, I talked about the fact that uh, if this was a book written about a Baptist who enters the world of Judaism with some sort of uh, secret agenda of of proselytizing or evangelizing, uh, you would have you would have a number of outlets in which to speak. I'm just curious: Have you been on Christian radio stations? Yes, I've been on several Christian radio stations. 
Uh, tell us about that experience. Mm-hmm. Well, they, um, without exception, they started out uh, quite well. I, I had a great dialogue and rapport with the host, but as soon as people started calling in, it kind of went downhill from there. I, I've been called a heretic. Uh, I was called uh, someone who was just forming arrogant friendships with the world and the Jews, and um, I, I was called self-centered and selfish because uh, this was a spiritual journey instead of uh, an agenda. Hmm. Well, <laughs> you knew what you were getting yourself into, I'm sure. I did. Yeah. Uh, getting back to the book, we, we covered a few parts of it last week, and I'd like to, I'd like to start today by quoting uh, Rivka. She says at one point, if I weren't already a Jew, I don't know if I'd become one. It's so hard. It's so hard to be a Jew. Uh, Tell us what prompted that, and tell us if you uh, found that to be a common sentiment. Um, Rivka, she just had a great sense of humor, and I don't think that she really meant that quite seriously. The context that 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 came from, uh, I had driven to Boulder, Colorado to spend a week with an Orthodox community there, and it was a Torah retreat. I had no idea what kind of community it was when I left. I just uh, am the type of person that if I see something that sounds interesting, I'll just plunge in there and assume that I can bail myself out in some way if I've got myself into a, a sticky situation. But the community turned out to be just incredibly welcoming to me. I stayed in a, a home of a woman that, um, that had invited me to stay with her and spent the week studying with the group in Boulder. And they had two Hasidic rabbis from two different sects, a Visnitzer and a bus lover from New York and Jerusalem that came in. So I, I did, I was kind of watching myself. I knew this was a very orthodox community, and I still wasn't sure of the rules and how I needed to act. And so... Um, but Rivka really kind of became my guardian angel for the week, and unfortunately she has since passed away, and I did dedicate my book to her and her memory. But um, during this one particular Sabbath, I didn't realize that there was a certain time during the Sabbath that you, that you don't talk, and that's um, after you have done the ritual hand-washing until the... Uh, actual breaking of the bread on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to talk. And so I had gone up to a couple of people and tried to talk to them. And um, when I sat down with Rivka and I tried to talk to her, she gave me the motion that I was supposed to be uh, silent. So I stopped talking. And, um, And then later on, I decided that I was going to go get a Coke. And I, had, I knew that I wasn't supposed to carry anything on the Sabbath on the, with an Orthodox congregation, so I had left my purse out in the foyer. And I went out to get some money out of it, and when I came back, Rivka saw that I, I had money, and uh, she said, you know, put that money away. And she said, I realize that you're not a Jew, but we have to be careful here. And then that brought on her comment of, uh, you know, it's so hard to be a Jew 
Um, and you know, if you if you can picture a um, you know a, the uh, stereotypical expression of a Jewish person doing this, that was pretty much the way it was. And it, you know, and it, it was meant very lightly and humorously. I didn't pick that up honestly. I didn't quite pick. That. I really thought she was she was having a, a a difficult a moment of 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 concern there. But that really that is not how you took it. No, not really. Um, you know, and there's when you say things, there there probably is some element of sincerity and truth in most things that you say, even jokes. So you know, she probably did find it difficult at times to to follow the the laws of Orthodox Judaism, but Rivka was a an extremely joyful and happy Jewish person, and um, she loved her faith. In a um, another part of the book, you quote uh, someone saying that study isn't just a Jewish tradition; it's the Jewish condition. Uh, you, you talk a great deal about study. I'm curious. You almost sound as if there's a difference between. Uh, not almost, that there is a difference between the way Christians study and the way Jews study. I, I would imagine that there are many seminary students that, that might take exception to that, to say, no, wait a minute here, we, we study, we study all the time. What, what, what do you see as the difference? Um, there's a very, very uh, distinctive difference, and that is that Jews are looking for more questions when they study. They're not I mean, they may be looking for some answers, and they certainly come up with some answers. But according to one Hasidic rabbi with whom I studied, uh, he said anyone can come up with an answer, but not just anyone can come up with a question. And um, so when the Jews approach, uh, when they approach study, they are um, they're just looking for more and more questions, and that takes you deeper and deeper and deeper. The other thing that is distinctive about the way that many Jews study, not all of them, but um, they have a more mystical approach. And I found this both with the Hasidim and with the Jewish renewal, and in some form with most other Jews that I studied with. And that is uh, the fact that they would look at Scripture in a myst- with a mystical perspective. And there are four levels that... That, that correspond to four mystical worlds that, that one travels through. And the world of absolute is the highest world, and that's a world where um, you've gone through an analytical approach to study. You've, you've uh, brought stories out of your study. You've brought interpretations. And then you get into a realm where there are hidden mystical meanings in Scripture, and um, and this is very unique to uh, to Judaism, and uh, as opposed to Christianity, and looking at the scripture. And speaking of uh, of scripture, you say that, uh, for instance, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That that particular passage has been mis- misinterpreted by Christians. What is the Christian take on it, and what is the Jewish take? The Christian take is um, that that meant revenge and that Jesus superseded that the um you know that Jesus said no it's it's not um you know we shouldn't take revenge 
but the Jews say that this was just to protect people and um, to make sure that um, undo, uh, not revenge, but um, undue punishment was not given to somebody. So if they, if um, if somebody, let's say, cut off somebody else's finger, then you would make sure that the retribution or the punishment was appropriate for that particular crime and they weren't, uh, you know, their life wasn't being taken for something such as, uh, you know, stealing, um, you know, stealing an ox. Um, so that's, that's quite a different approach to that particular scripture. Yeah, very different. Um, you, you talk about the various denominations of Judaism. Yes. Uh, and actually, I thought I knew all of them. I, I was not familiar with Jewish renewal. Tell us what the difference between that is uh, alongside, say, the Reformed Conservative Orthodox. Jewish renewal is relatively new. Um, it was. Uh, it is a more liberal. I, I don't ever want to say the most liberal because uh, these the Jewish renewal groups can vary greatly from group to group. They don't have synagogues in the way of, of a building. Uh, they meet in what's called a, a havara, which is a study group, and they'll usually meet in a rented building or in somebody's home. Uh, sometimes they'll bring in a rabbi from a reconstructionist or you know some other denomination to get them started or even to lead them regularly. And other ones, uh, they they don't go to a um, a seminary to study. They study by correspondence, and they can still become a Jewish renewal rabbi that way. So. Um, in, in the Havara that I was involved in, uh, we had a, uh, a woman who was um, in the process of studying to become a Jewish renewal rabbi, and she led the congregation. They, um, like I said, they vary greatly from group to group. Uh, they do, I know that most Jewish renewal Jews don't like this term, but they do have some New Age elements. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of meditation and things like that. Um, I, I don't hold any bad connotations to New Age at all. So to me, that doesn't, that's not derogatory. Um, but they have a very, very distinctive Jewish flavor. Um, they, they certainly observe the, all the Jewish rituals. They do Hebrew prayers. Um, but they're kind of user-friendly, so there are also English uh, interpretations, and a lot of their service is in English. And um, uh, they're obviously, when I, I, I think I probably gave this away when I said that it was led by a woman, uh, they're on the liberal side of, of Judaism. Uh, they're quite joyful, very charismatic groups. Uh, some may be quite observant, and some may, um, you know, a lot of liberal Jews uh, choose what Jewish rituals and um, observances are particularly meaningful for them personally. Other Jewish renewal havaras, and this was true in the one that I was involved with, uh, the leadership took observance 
uh, very seriously. And even though they, they were not Orthodox and they definitely did not follow to the letter that the Orthodox follow, they did try to uh, be as observant as, you know, as they could. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella, and today my guest is Mary Bly Howe. She is the author of a new book, A Baptist Among the Jews. We're talking about the different denominations. And you know, it's funny because as I was reading the book, the first half I was thinking, well, boy, I wonder if she's going to mention Messianic Jews because it sounds like that's the group she really needs to connect with. And and I finally get to where you talk about this and you say, eh, not so much. <laughs> you, you didn't have a good experience with the so-called Jews for Jesus. Uh, right. Tell us why, why you're not one. Okay. <laughs> Um, there are several reasons, and, um, you know, I really wished in my book now that I would have called them Hebrew Christians, because I think that is a much better label, um, and um, I think it, I just think that it describes these groups a lot better. This is not Judaism, it's Christianity, and I, I get this question at every single place I speak, every interview that I do, why was I, why did I not become involved in so-called messianic Judaism. The reason is very simple. It's not Judaism. It's Christianity with um, a few, you know, a little bit of a Jewish flavor in it. But if you want to learn about Judaism and about, um, if you want to know Jews and, uh, you know, you really want to uh, just simply know something about Judaism, then that's not the place to do it. Um, with that said, I probably was a little more negative in my book than I should have been just because I had based it on a, a few experiences. Um, but my experiences were bad, and um, at one point I was at a uh, Jewish arts festival where a, um, a person from one of these congregations was in the audience, and their purpose was just to back the speaker into a corner at question time and to make them admit that uh, that all of the Hebrew scripture pointed to Jesus and that Jesus had to be God and had to be their Messiah and this type of thing. And um, they just conducted themselves in a very obnoxious manner. The other, uh, one of the other incidents that I had was um, I had called to order a book from a person that had been referred to me, and he was very, very knowledgeable about Judaism, and we had this really wonderful conversation. And I got suspicious and asked him if he wasn't with a Messianic congregation, and he said, absolutely not. I just love Judaism. And I asked him in several different ways, and he kept insisting that he had no ulterior motives, that uh, that he just loved Judaism, and when I received the book, there was a, a flyer in the book that said, our hope is that all of the Jews will come to a knowledge of Yeshua, their Messiah. So he had just blatantly lied to me. And um, I, I do think that these congregations uh, have a love of Judaism, um, you know, to them, it's a sincere love of Judaism, uh, and and I don't think that there's anything wrong with a church that 
that wants to incorporate elements of Judaism. What I think is wrong is when they call that building a synagogue and when they call their leader a rabbi and when they go out and, and tell unsuspecting Jews, invite them, you know, to, to that place of worship, uh, making them think that that's a synagogue. Uh, I just think that that's, that's very dishonest. I, I just think they need to call themselves what they are, and then if they want to incorporate elements of Judaism into their worship, then that's perfectly fine. So I asked you before why you weren't a Messianic Jew. You've just given me a good answer. So yes. now the next question that the book begs is, why aren't you a Jew? What, what, what kept you in, in the Christian fold? After the, I mean, you read this book, you see how fascinated and how much you love the tradition. Yeah. What, what, what kept you from crossing the line? Um, you know, I still struggle with that. I really do love Judaism. Um, but there are several things that, that have kept me a Christian. One of them is that my religious and my spiritual journey have been so narrow my entire life that now I just want to explore. And from here, I, you know, even though I'm never going to lose my special love for Judaism, I do want to explore other religions, and I, I really just want to see God through other people's eyes. This, this isn't so much an interfaith relationship book as it is um, my spiritual journey and my desire to to expand my experience and my vision of God. So one reason that I didn't convert is because I knew that uh, Judaism, there's so much to learn when you become involved in another religion. And I I just don't want to throw myself into, solely into another religion right now. But Um, now, if you, if you are thinking about the possibility of ever becoming Jewish, mm-hmm. don't you have to come to a very firm conviction as to who Jesus is or, or was? You know, did, uh, how has that played in, in, your, uh, in your journey? Because I don't think you, you yeah. addressed that in the book. Um, I did address it just in a paragraph in my last chapter. It was, it was a very brief reference, and it probably should have been given more attention, but... Because it wasn't the purpose of my book, I, um, you know, the the subject at hand uh, in this last chapter was why I had decided to remain a Christian. That was one reason, and I don't think that it's so much that I would have to come to a firm conviction about Jesus going into Judaism, but I would have to lose a conviction uh, leaving Christianity, and that was a problem. Um, I, I am not so much into theology right now. Uh, I know this is, would be terribly shocking to Christians, but at this point in my life, I'm not worried about being uh, orthodox about who Jesus is. And yet, I could never come to the conclusion that Jesus was a mere rabbi. And, um, you know, Jesus still is significant in my life, but it's more in an experiential way than it is a concern about being orthodox about exactly who Jesus is. And um, so, yes, that, that has kept me in Christianity. Uh, I, I do still feel uh, a love and a tie to Jesus. 
Tell us about your denomination. You are a Baptist now. What what denomination of or what branch of the Baptist Church are you a member? It's the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, and it's a moderately aligned Baptist. Uh, it's not really a denomination, but a, a moderately aligned group of Baptists that we're very similar in our theology to the American Baptists, uh, which um, a lot of people are more familiar with, although the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is growing. Uh, We have a a totally different approach than the more conservative Baptists, and um, we are respectful and honoring to people of other religions. And... um, uh, you know, we we uh, we just have a more moderate approach to our interpretation of the Bible and uh, our relationship to other to people of other religions. So, you holding the positions you do and you going on the spiritual journey that you're on mm-hmm. uh, is met with a level of comfort and acceptance. Absolutely, uh, my church is. They are the. The moderately aligned Baptists tend to refer to themselves as tolerant. I would give them much, much more credit than that. Uh, they're more uh, tolerant is a word that um, that has implications of, you know, I will, um, I'll, yeah, I'll bear to- with you. Exactly. Yeah, I'll tolerate you uh, 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 cracking your gum when you chew it. Exactly. <laughs> um, the people that I've come to know in these circles are incredibly accepting and loving and they're very excited they always want to know about my spiritual journeys and uh, they never um, try to correct me or try to warn me or uh, they never seem worried about me Uh, they they're happy that I found more freedom in my spiritual life and that I'm knowing God in a deeper way and that I'm learning to love people sincerely instead of loving people with an agenda. Um, And that's what they're concerned about. They're concerned about, um, you know, people's lives and and how we treat each other. What what continues to make that particular assembly of people Baptist? You know, I'm looking for the common thread that runs along all of the various branches of of the Baptist Church. You know what I'm saying? Why aren't you, I mean, you sound more United Church of Christ (laughs) than you do Baptist. Well, Baptist traditionally, and this is a big argument amongst Baptists, but traditionally Baptists have believed in the priesthood of the believer, a, a passage from the Greek Testament that implies that we should never try to force our beliefs on somebody else and that we should never judge people or try to make them believe, which is impossible. How do you make somebody believe something? Um, that's, that's, a, uh, that's a very personal thing, and, and, you know, we really can't help what we believe. Um, and so what makes us distinctly Baptist is that Traditionally, we have believed in the priesthood of the believer, and a church should go down the path that um, that it feels it's that that is right for that particular church. So that uh, you know, I think that that's what makes us Baptist. 
Are you full immersion kind of people? Yes, yes. We did you say immersion? No, no. I said okay. immersion. Immersion. Full. Yes. Im- okay. Yes. All right. Very good. Every time I speak to somebody, uh, or almost every time I speak to someone, by the time they get to this point where the book is out and they're they're speaking on the radio and on television about it, they've already got something else in the works. Anything on, on your end in terms of uh, publication? Quite a few things, yes. I, um, I'm about to sign a, a couple of contracts for two different books over the next couple of years, and one of them is going to be um, my story about... Uh, leaving the fundamentalist environment. Uh, that's going to be my next book. And right now I'm very, very involved in mysticism. And so um, probably the two books after that are going to be different approaches. One about my experiences uh, becoming involved with uh, the Sufis who are um, dervishes and the mystical branch of Islam. Um, and uh, another one is going to be about what Christians can learn from the mystics of all traditions. We will look forward to both of those, and I keep us in mind when they come out. Okay, thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure, Mary. If, uh, if you're just uh, tuning in right now, you've missed uh, a nice half hour. We've been speaking with Mary Bly Howe. The book is A Baptist Among the Jews. It's uh, published by uh, Jossie Bass, and it's available, I'm sure, at all of the all of the usual suspects, Barnes and Noble, etc. And I want to thank you, Mary, for being with us. And I'm going to ask you, listener, to join us again next week here on Common Threads on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening, and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.